to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Who has the right to tell you what to do? Let me ask that again. Who has the right in your mind to tell you what to do? I'm asking a question about authority. What is the ultimate authority in your life? Now, I think if we were really honest and we tried to drill down into the bottom of our heart in terms of how we would want to answer that, answer that question, I think the answer to that question would be no one. I don't want to answer to anybody. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I want, don't want anybody to tell me what to think. I've got a will, and I want things my way. And the reason that I think that that is deep down in your heart, here is my evidence. I've raised children. I know about this little will, and I've got to have my way. I couldn't believe it. Sometimes I would come home from a day of work, and my kids would, I would ask them to do something, and they would say, no, even when they were small. I'd be saying to Carmen, like, Carmen, what are you teaching these kids when I'm gone? But here's what I know. Every one of us is born like that. And you, you've seen it. Even if you don't have children, you've watched Kids melt down in grocery stores. You have to have seen that. When they don't get their way, probably the greatest meltdown that we ever had as a family happened in Ikea. One of our kids didn't get their way. And if you know anything about Ikea, it's not like you can just walk out of the store really quickly. You've got to do the whole maze thing. So we got to parade this meltdown all throughout Ikea, let everyone participate with us in it. But little kids grow up to be big kids like us. And you still have that will, that self-will that says, I want to do it my way. And the question I want to ask, are you willing to surrender up your will to anyone or to anything that's what the text of scripture that we're gonna be talking about today is talking about. It's talking about authority. And so when we get to this section of 2 Timothy, Paul is trying to tell Timothy, Timothy, if you're gonna make it to the end of your life, if you're gonna stay strong, if you're gonna fight the good fight, if you're gonna finish the race, if you're gonna keep the faith to the very end, you've got to answer the question of authority. What is the ultimate authority in your life? 
Timothy. And Paul is gonna make the case to Timothy that the scriptures, the scriptures, Timothy, need to be the ultimate authority in your life. But I realize as we step into this topic that this is not an easy topic in our culture for sure because we don't like authority. We don't trust it. We don't want it. And so that creates some unique challenges as I stand up here today and talk with people. This is a very friendly audience to talk about the authority of Scripture. And I imagine that there are probably even some people in this room right now that are just like, come on, Bob, or seriously, are you, are you one of those guys? One of those old school Bible guys? That's just so old school, it's so stifling. Really, Bob, you're gonna tell me that an ancient document should bind my conscience in terms of what I should believe and how I should behave here in the 21st century? Yes. Yes, I am. But I also believe that maybe you've got some legitimate questions. And if we're gonna try to engage the world around us with this idea of the authority of scripture, what we believe and how we behave, we've got to say more than the Bible says so. I believe we've got to help people understand why. Why is the Bible authoritative in our life? Because Michelle just said it, our mission statement around here is that we want people to be all in, followers of Jesus, holding nothing back. But we can't be those kind of all in followers if we don't trust Jesus, if we don't trust his word. We've got to understand the authority of scripture in our life. And as we step into this text of scripture, I wanna make some connections to where we were last week when Brian was teaching about how there was gonna be godlessness in the last days. Things are gonna be going from bad to worse. The kinds of things that we're even seeing in the world today, there's gonna be opposition to God. There's gonna be opposition to his word, opposition to the values of his kingdom, and even hostility toward those things. But Paul is saying, Timothy, in the midst of this, Timothy, if you are gonna make it to the end, if you are gonna fight the good fight, you've got to remember this, Timothy, is your ultimate authority. That's the only way you're gonna make it to the end of fighting the good fight. It's the only way you're going to stay strong. Paul's gonna help us understand three things about the authority of scripture. One is that scripture is inspired, the scripture is useful, and we also need to understand that the scripture is relational. Let me pray before we get started. God, I've just had this sense coming into this message that I need to just stop and pray and ask you to move. Your spirit is here. Your spirit is in me. Your spirit inspired the words of scripture. God, would your spirit move in and through the hearts of people? God, I feel so inadequate to be able to communicate all that is true about the glory of your word and your glory that it points to. But I just ask that you would do what I can't do in the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Paul starts out in this text of scripture 
making a big contrast from the godlessness that we just talked about. He says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's like, Timothy, this isn't your first rodeo. You've been in and around the scriptures your whole life. So remember this, Timothy, verse 16, he says, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. First thing that Paul talks about, the reason that we submit our life to scriptures is because it is inspired of God. Let me read that phrase again from verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. I want us to think about that phrase, God-breathed. Here's what we need to understand. Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's just told us that Timothy understands the scriptures. He's been taught them from the time that he was just a little, little boy. So Paul knows as he's talking, writing to young Timothy, that when he uses that phrase, God breathed, which is, it's a unique term in the New Testament, that it is going to light some light bulbs off in Timothy's mind. It's going to take him back to the very beginning of the Bible, that creation story, where it says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground. I kind of try to imagine what that was like as God took the dirt and the dust and formed man into a, a dirt clod. Not a dirt bag, but a dirt clod. But then God did something miraculous and amazing. It says that he breathed life into the man and he became a living being. Body, yes, but a soul that lasts for eternity. He was alive. That's the picture that God is giving to Timothy as it relates to what we're talking about when we talk about the scriptures. God breathed his life into these words that we have on the pages of scripture. And these words are life to us. And they are alive. It's why the writer of Hebrews says this about scripture. It says, for the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Say, when, when we approach this book, we don't just read it, it reads us. It sees us. And if you've been around the scriptures, if you've spent time in the scriptures, you've had those kinds of experiences where God in supernatural ways speaks to you. Maybe it was an encouragement that you had to have. Maybe it was a confrontation or a conviction 
because your life was headed in a wrong direction. And God, his alive word pulled you back to what is true and right. There's ways that the scripture has instructed you, made it clear to you what is true about God, what is true about this world. The scripture has counseled you. The scripture has comforted you. It's not just a book. That's what Paul's trying to tell Timothy. This book is alive. It is God-breathed. When you read the Bible, Francis, when you read the Bible, God opens his mouth. That's what Paul wants Timothy to understand. It's not just reading. It's God speaking. His breath, his whispers, his words to us. And so if we're here today and we want to know God, we want to know his will, we've got to know his word. We've got to engage it. And not just in a superficial way. We need to engage it deeply. This word is inspired. And here's how the Bible talks about the inspiration of scripture. This is from 2 Peter. Peter talking about how God did this. He said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy, meaning the speaking out of God's word, never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit wrote this book through people. And it's amazing how he did it. He used people in their their own personalities, in their own styles of writing. God preserved, even in that, the words that he wanted for us that would help us understand the way to salvation and to understand who God is and to glorify him. It's supernatural. And what I just shared with you, there's some mystery in that. How did God do that? Because it wasn't like God dictated. It wasn't like he said, hey, Moses, in the beginning. Moses like, in the beginning. It wasn't dictation. God used the authors. That's what the Bible says about itself, about its inspiration. It comes from God. It is God-breathed. But it is amazing when we just step back and look at what we have here, some of the uniquenesses about this book. Because this wasn't just one author that sat down and wrote a bestseller. This was a book, actually a collection of books that was written over a long span of time, almost 1,400 years. The very beginning of the Bible, the first things that Moses starts writing down happens during the Hebrew exodus from Egypt. And some of the last things we have in this Bible come in the first century, almost 1,400 years. Vast different groups of people, different cultures, different time. And there was incredible, in the diverse authorship of this book, not was it just not one author, almost 40 authors, 40 different authors from all different kinds of walks of life. There were kings, there were soldiers, there were shepherds, there were politicians, fishermen, priests, 
Even a Gentile physician had an opportunity to pen some of this book. The Bible was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And you would imagine that if God was going to write a book, it would probably be a bestseller. The Bible is the most distributed book of all time, the most sold book of all time. The numbers of Bible sold is in the billions. And even, this just came out recently. If you look at the version app of the Bible, came out about a decade ago, 500 million downloads of the version Bible app. The most distributed book in all of history, but we also have to understand that it is the most attacked, it is the most scrutinized, and the most persecuted book in all of history as well. The enemy wants to shake our foundation in who God is and what it is that he said to us. But even with all this diversity, 1,400 years, 40 authors, it is one unified story from the very beginning. It's like a a six-act play. Act one was creation when God made everything and it was good. Act two was the fall. Adam and Eve said, God, we want to do it our way. And fellowship, that relationship with God was broken. And then there's this whole history of the nation of Israel, Act 3, where God begins to work his redemptive plan through a chosen people. And then there's a little intermission in the middle, about 400 years, where it was quiet. And then God himself, Act 4, comes on the scene. The incarnation of Jesus. And that redemption becomes real becomes concrete in human history. And then Jesus starts act five. He launches the church. That's the part of the play that we are in right now. We are taking the message of redemption, the message of who God is and what he's done to the world. Act five. Act six, Jesus will return and he will restore all things. And those who have made a decision to bow their knee to him and make him their king will live with him as our king forever. One unified story in a diversity of books in our Bible. Paul would ask the question, if we were to ask Paul the question, is scripture God breathed? He would say, yes. And Paul would also say this, yeah, A couple of weeks ago, I talked about different things that we believe. There's things that we die for. There's things that we divide for. There's things that we decide for. Friends, the inspiration and authority of Scripture, it is dead center in the middle. This is something that we die for. Because if we step outside of the inspiration of Scripture and its authority over our lives, we lose the clear picture of who God is his character, and his nature. We lose the clear picture of the deity of Christ and who he is. And just think about all the the moral questions that are running around in our country where churches are dividing over it. It stems from a low view of scripture. Friends around here, we will hold the scripture high as our ultimate authority in our life. What it says we respond to. But Paul goes on telling young Timothy, it's not just because it's inspired. Timothy, 
this word is actually useful for your life. It's practical for you. I'll remind you what he said. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Four things Paul talks about there. Two word pairs. Teaching and rebuking relate to doctrine, things that we believe. Correcting, training in righteousness have to do with conduct, how we behave, what we believe and how we behave. And here's what Paul wants young Timothy to understand is that there's this walk with God. It's like we've got God, we're holding on to his hands, but there's a way that we need to walk with him and allow him to shape our life, Timothy. And it's teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Teaching. We think about teaching. Teaching is this. Teaching is what is right? What is true? What are the things that I know to be true? Rebuking relates to the things that are not right. What are the things that I need to avoid in my life? How do I need to think about those things? Correcting has to do with the reality that even when we know what's right, even when we know what is not right, there are times that we were going to veer off of this path. Correcting is about God. How do you bring me back onto that path with you so I've got you by both hands? And training in righteousness has to do with how do I create rhythms and practices in my life, training myself to hear and respond to the voice of God as he declares it in his word. That's what Paul wants Timothy to understand. This is helpful to you in every area of life, Timothy. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And there's a result. There's a result that's gonna happen. Paul says this, so that, Verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's something that God wants to do in you so that he can do something through you. And I love as I did a little bit of study on that word equipped. It actually, the verb form of that has the meaning of adequate. God makes us adequate to do the things that he is asking us to do. And I'll tell you this because I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. We talked about active and passive verb forms. This, again, is a passive verb form. Just a quick reminder, if you weren't here, an active verb form means that the subject does the action of the verb. A passive voice means that the subject is acted upon. This is a passive voice. This means that God is acting upon us. He's the one that does the equipping. He's the one that makes us adequate to do the things that he's asking us to do. Do we need that? Do we need to be made adequate? By God, I, I was just praying with some friends before this service, and that was the word that just kept coming to my mind. I just feel so inadequate. I was just so grateful, just even thinking about this verse. I don't have to make myself adequate. God is the one that makes me adequate. But my responsibility is to hold my life up, let my life be spoken to by the things that are going to Teach me what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. That's the means. 
That's how God changes us and prepares us for whatever it is that God has for us in this life. It's his word that equips us and makes us adequate. But here's what's true. You, you gotta work at it. Let, let, let me just say, uh, I've heard people say that, you know, a verse a day keeps the Bible away. You know, I do the daily, daily verse. Friends, it ain't gonna get it done. We need to be in the word. Letting the word soak over our life and our heart and our mind. That's why Paul, speaking to young Timothy, back in chapter two, he said this in verse 15. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth, who gets the word straight, speaks it straight, lives it out straight. But Paul's telling Timothy, you gotta work at it. It's not something that's just gonna happen because you read a Bible verse here and there. We've got to work at it. It's not easy, it takes time. And I'll just tell you right now, there, there just aren't shortcuts. It just takes time. I love what Peter said, speaking of Paul from 2 Peter. And the reason I wanna share this is because I, I wanna acknowledge, when I talk about reading and studying the Bible, it's not easy all the time to understand everything that we read in the scriptures. And even Peter says that. 316, he says, he writes, he meaning Paul, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, but which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. We've gotta be workers, workers, friends, so that we can understand what it is that God has said to us. And this is why this is challenging. It's because some of the amazing things about the scripture that I mentioned earlier written over 1,400 years, written by 40 different authors, different languages, different time periods. That means that we've got to understand where these books are being written. What is the message? Who are they to? We can't just open up the Bible, point our finger, start reading, and think that this is what God wants to say to me today. There may be a message for you today, but here's what we need to understand. None of the Bible was written to you. All of it was written for you, but none of it was written to you. So we have to understand what is the historical context? What is the biblical context? What is the genre of literature that we're talking about here? Is this history? Is this a poem? Is this a parable? Is this an allegory? We've got to understand the literary forms that are used in the Bible. We've got to be workmen. And that's why as Brian and I teach you up here and even talking about this book of 2 Timothy, trying to help you all the time understand this was a letter written by the Apostle Paul at the end of his life from prison, facing execution to a young person in the faith that he wants to finish well. And so that is the context that 
all of the message of 2 Timothy is run through. I want to give you a tool. So if you have something to write with or you have a, something you can just remember with, there's a tool. There's an, uh, a website called The Bible Project. And if you've been doing the reading plan over the last handful of, um, or over since January, you see that every book of the Bible starts with a devotional from the Bible Project where it gives the historical context and the biblical context of everything in that book. If you're just starting out with the Bible, or even if you've read the Bible your whole life, these can be so helpful. Go to the Bible Project. Just Google it and use that as a great resource to help you understand Scripture. The last thing I want to say Not only is the Bible inspired, not only is the Bible useful, but I think one of the most compelling things in terms of submitting our life to the authority of Scripture is that we understand that the text of Scripture is relational. God's lead foot is always his relationship with people. Even when we go back to the very beginning when the Scriptures were being written, the Exodus the story of God's people. He said, these are my people. They belong to me. And he's saying, Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. These were people that he had a relationship with. He loved them. And he was making a covenant of love with them that I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna provide for you. And in the most powerful way possible, he rescues them, redeems them out of slavery in Egypt. We know the story. The Red Sea is parted. They cross on dry land. The sea falls in on their enemies. God delivers them, protects and provides for them. And when they get to the other side, their immediate response is, God will do everything that you ask us to do. But if you know the story, that lasted for about 15 minutes. And they started grumbling. And they started complaining. So what so what did God do? Did he just throw his hands up in the air and just said, I'm, I'm done with you. No, he continued to love and protect and provide in miraculous ways for them. His lead foot is always relationship, not rules. If we think about this book as a rule book, we won't understand the heart of God because the Old Testament law doesn't come until Exodus 19, long after He's rescued and protected and provided for his people. Relationship came first. Then came the rules where he said, people, this is what it's going to look like. This is what we need to do in order for us to navigate our relationship with each other and for you to navigate your relationship with each other in healthy ways that doesn't mar the image of God that is inherent in every created being. That's why God gave us the rules so we would know how to manage his relationship with us. To me, that's compelling. I mean, it's, it's compelling enough to me that God can just tell me to do whatever he wants me to do because he's God. But God wants us to know, I want you to do that not only because I'm God and I can command you to do anything, but my heart is for you. I love you. Because there's deeper questions that we're asking. Deeper worldview question than just that first question that I asked you, which was, who has the right 
to tell me what to do. That's about authority. But there's a deeper question that we're asking is who knows me best and knows what is best for me? Talking about knowledge, does God really know me? And lastly, the question is who loves me and wants what is best for me? It's when we understand God's heart. When we understand the relational love heart of God that the rules make sense to us. Rules without relationship, that's what leads to rebellion. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion and that's what Paul wants young Timothy to know and that's why I wanna remind you, this is where Paul started with Timothy. Timothy, it's not about the rules. It's not even necessarily about what we believe, but this is what Paul said. 2 Timothy chapter one. And of this gospel, this good news of the kingdom, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. And I love this. Paul says, because I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. Did Paul know what he believed? Oh, absolutely. Paul knew what was true and right, but that wasn't what compelled him. I know whom. Friends, this book, it's not just pages. It is a person. It is a person that knows you, that wants you to know him. And this is how, in his sovereignty, he has designed us to be able to understand who he is. We need friends. We need to be people of the book. What's your next step? What's your next step? We ask that question around here a lot. We have a little diagram that we talk about right there in the middle is read the Bible. Why would we say read the Bible? Because we want you to know whom you have believed. Not just what you've believed, we want you to know whom. And here's one simple way I wanna challenge all of you, wherever you're at in your Bible engagement. Think about Bible engagement in this way, just coming to the scriptures and asking God two simple questions that I believe have the capacity to change your life forever. And the questions are simply these. God, what are you saying to me? The word is alive and active. Let the Bible read you. God, what are you saying to me through this text of scripture? And the second question is, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do about it? Because you don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. We want to hear and respond in obedience. God, what is it that you want me to do? Now, I wanted to just kind of give you an example in, in my own life over this last week to try to remove a little bit of the mystery, maybe of even how these questions work, at least in my life. I'm just doing the reading plan, just like many of you are. I read through it, taking some notes, asking the Lord what is jumping out to me. I write all those things down. I send them to a couple of friends of mine and send them back and forth to each other. But the other day, what was striking me, even reading through 
some of the law part in the nation of Israel, the part that seemed so boring in some ways, God began to talk to me about forgiveness. And I just began to ask him questions like, God, where do I need to offer forgiveness? And the spirit was just faithful. He started bringing actual names to my mind. And so I wrote them down. I knew that I was gonna be sending these to my friends, but it was like, these are actual names of people. I feel like that I got work to do. But then I was asking like, God, what do you want, what do you want me to do with this? Because there was one name that just kept jumping off the page and I just kept saying, God, what do you want me to do with this? Nothing came as I sat there. I didn't know what to do. But two days later, my wife and I were in the grocery store and I see this guy walking out. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say, but I knew that the Holy Spirit was prompting me because of what God had said to me days before. I chased him out of the grocery store, not knowing what to say, but I just yelled out his name and he turned around. And as best as I can even remember, I just said, what happened? What happened with us? Can we get together and talk about it? And he said, yeah, let's, let's get together and talk about it. Don't know how it's gonna turn out. The meeting hasn't happened yet, but it's on the calendar. But I know that God wanted me to do that. He, wanted, he wants to shape my life in some way around that. Now, does something like that happen every time I read the Bible? No, it doesn't. But does it happen often? Yes, and friends, it happens often enough that I come every morning. God, what do you want to say to me? God, what is it that you want me to do? Two questions, so simple, but it has the potential to change your life. Let his voice in the scripture be your authority. I just want to close with this thought. Because the apostle Paul knew. He knew whom he had believed. And I can't imagine that as he's writing that, he's probably thinking about the reality that this Jesus that he came to know was God in the flesh, come to this earth, died, hung out, naked on a cross on his behalf, paying the penalty that Paul deserved to die. But Jesus paid it for him. Paul knew whom he had believed. He knew the heart, the heart that would come to this earth, the heart that would die for him. And that was the heart that Paul would say, my life belongs to you. And let me tell you this. It's the easiest way I can explain in my own life why I choose to the best of my ability to submit my life to the authority of scripture. It's the cross. Friends, I can't look at the cross and wonder, what is God's heart for me? Does he know me and know what's best for me? Absolutely, I have no doubt. Does he love me? And does he want what's best for me? I say absolutely. When I look at the cross, friends, I say, Jesus earned the right to tell me what to do as best as I can. And as confidently as I can say, I believe he's earned that right for you too because he died for you. Let's pray.
Jesus, I just want to admit I still feel inadequate to speak on these things on your behalf. But I am taking you at your word that it's not anything that I can do or can't do that equips me or makes me adequate, but it's who you are and what you've done for me. Jesus, when I look at the cross, I'll say it again. You've earned the right to tell me what to do with my life. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for loving me. I submit my life to you. I trust you. It's in your powerful and resurrected name that I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.